Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. The chair from the table has been pulled away and now faces the entirety of the small house. It's where he has sat for days, although in the hopelessness and and helplessness, it seems like he's been sitting there for months. He's close enough to see everything that's happening around her bed, but far enough away to feel absolutely useless. As a dad, he's always said that his job was to provide, to protect, and to care for the family. He can't do all three, and he can't do any of them right now. He's watched the the neighbors come and go with their best remedies and suggestions and advice, and he's watched as his only daughter, 12 years old, has wasted away. She can't lose any more weight. She hasn't eaten in a couple weeks. And the conversation from two nights ago, it still plagues his mind. He knows what his wife has begged him to do. He knows what his daughter needs. So he will finally get up and leave his chair and walk over to her bedside. He will reach down and remove the damp cloth from her forehead. He'll stoop down and give her a kiss on the cheek. And in this proximity, he will feel her fever radiating up against his flesh. It's another sign that that time is short, how dire this is. And he, he tries to muster a smile on his face. Daddy needs to go out for a little bit. I'm going to bring back help. And at this point, they don't know if she can hear how cognitive she is. She seems to be in and, and out of consciousness. And, and with that, he puts his hand on his wife's shoulder. She hasn't left their daughter's bedside either. She's been there at her post. And he will kiss her on the top of her head, and he will turn, and as quietly as he can, he will, he will open the door, he will slip out into the daylight and quietly shut it. His wife is surprised. It's what she begged him to do two nights ago. But she knows that it will cost him, and so does he. His pace picks up as he, as he walks now with an agenda. He knows that he might lose his job. He may lose his standing in the community. But what he can't lose is his little girl. So he walks with a purpose. And little does he know that across town, in a completely different neighborhood, another door has been opened. And it will shut silently as someone slips out. Someone who steps out with a pace with the exact same agenda. And their two paths are about to collide in a moment that will change history for both families. In a moment that 2,000 years later, we're going to read about. We're in Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21 today. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, 
a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. If it seems like you've jumped into the, to the middle of a story, you, you have. It's a story where the, this boat has taken Jesus and the 12 that are traveling with him. And it's a three-part story, and, and Mark has been writing to us the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. It's a, telling the story of a couple days in, in the life of Jesus. And if you weren't here two weeks ago, we, we picked up the story. We saw Jesus was on, who was on the northwest side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And he told his disciples, we're going to go over there. And he pointed to the southeast, on the other side of the lake, to the, the place of the Decapolis, the place where the Gentile cities were. We're going to go over to the other side. We're going to go there. And about midway through that night as they were crossing, a furious squall came up. And as the winds built across the sea, this epic storm broke out where, where seasoned fishermen, men who make their living on the water because their, their daddies made their living on the water, because their great-grandpappies made their living on the water, they fear for their lives. And they wake up Jesus who's asleep in the back of the boat, and they say, don't you care if we drown in the storm? And Jesus stands up, and if you were here, you know, he, he, he quieted the storm with two words. In English, it says, be still, but the, really, the, the Greek translation says, be muzzled. And all of a sudden, the storm went away, and it was quiet. Lightning, thunder, wind, waves, obey. And there's silence. And so he turns and looks at him. He says, where's your faith? You lost your faith that quickly? And you're in fear? And as the boat reached the shore on the other side, we, we, we saw last week, as they come to an area, as I said, not occupied by Jewish people, a man comes running down from the tombs where he lives, and he's naked and he's bleeding. He's been cutting himself with sharp stones. He falls on the gravel in front of Jesus on the shoreline, and he screams and he begs not to be tortured. And Jesus, undaunted, simply says, What is your name? And the man responds, We are legion, because we are many. Legion. It's, it's the name that's given to a unit, a military unit. It's at least 5,000 Roman soldiers it takes to make up a legion. There's not one demon inhabiting this man. There's, there's many. There's a lot of demons in this man. And without flexing, without taking off his cloak, without being challenged, with mere words, Jesus casts the demons out of the man. Now, I've caught you up on our little boat story so far, and you can catch them online uh, through our website or through podcasts on, on Apple Podcasts or through Google Play. Uh, they're free, and if you want to go back and listen on your own, we want to welcome those that are listening now on the podcast, because we get a lot of people that do listen that aren't necessarily here at Sky Valley. And for the purpose of today's story, I want you to take out that little half sheet of paper that you got there. It says life notes at the top. We're going to fill in two blanks right now. And then you're going to put your pen and pencil down because we're going to be going to jumping into the story. It's going to be a little while before you get back. I'll give you a warning. It's going to be a little while before we get back there. So you're not wondering, like, what happened? Mark, in the last two weeks, has been trying to tell us. He's, he's claiming that Jesus has power over epic storms. He gives us a detailed story about one day in the life of the disciples in the midst of the lake, and he wants us to know this man, this myth, this, this legend, is he Lord? Is he liar? Is he the Messiah, as some think? And those eyewitnesses, those that were in the boat that related the story to Mark, 
Mark repeats the story and tells about this power that Jesus displayed over the epic storm. And then they cross over the other side, and, and Mark tells us, secondly, this man has power over demons, over legions of demons. He has a power over the, the natural, but he also has power over the supernatural. And this is concluding four chapters of Jesus healing the blind, healing the paralyzed, healing those with leprosy. He goes, let me tell you the full extent. Mark is pleading with us. He's given us eyewitness accounts. He's, he's saying the kingdom of God is being unveiled on earth because God himself is walking in your midst. Since October, we've been going verse by verse through these stories. We've been taking everything as, as they've given us in every place that he's been and every action, and we're trying to figure out what happened. What happened 2,000 years ago in Israel that culminated outside Jerusalem? That 2,000 years later, this man, Jesus, his face is still on the cover of our magazines today. What happened 2,000 years ago with this man, Jesus, that makes us gather crowds to, to still hear stories about his ministry? You may celebrate it by, by giving presents and, and decorating a tree, but, but Christmas will come once again because something happened on the outskirts of an obscure village called Bethlehem. Every time I tap my phone, it screams 2022 because Jesus, he split the fabric of time. Because of him, all things, everything before him is called B.C. or before Christ. Everything afterwards is Anno Domini, the year of the Lord. And Mark is trying to write, he's trying to tell us that this is no mere man. He has power over the natural. He has power over the supernatural. And when they cross the sea once again, a crowd shows up. And let me remind you, you're in the story. You're part of the crowd. Welcome, you're in, you're in the Jesus story. And this crowd is going to come to hear the Jesus story. They're going to come to see the miracles. But this story isn't about the crowd. It's about those that dare to step out of the crowd. But at least you showed up. You're in the story. Verse 22. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and she had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And two stories from two different homes collide in the middle of this street with the crowd. He had put everything on the line. In the first four chapters, Mark has written very clearly that there is one major group that is opposed to Jesus, 
and it's the religious leaders. They hate that the crowds aren't coming to temple or to, to church, to, to synagogue anymore. The crowds are going to him because he's speaking truth. He's speaking change. Oh, he demands a lot of people. But what he is giving in return, well, you'll never come up with it on your own. He claims to be God. He claims to forgive sins. And what does the religious system do with a crazy man like that? And this story brings the two together. A synagogue leader. The church leader in that community, if you will. And he knows that by going to Jesus for help, he may lose his standing, his position, his job. But he can't lose his little girl. And he begs, this isn't about me. It's about her. And there's a buzz that falls in the crowd. Oh boy, this is what we came for. We're going to see a Jesus story. We're going to see a miracle. They think, oh, it's four, four blocks up the street. Go up Main Street, turn, turn left on Front Street, right on 3rd and his second house on the left. Everybody knows where, where Jairus' uh, house is. I mean, he's, he's the leader of the synagogue. And as the crowd starts hurrying up the street, following Jesus and Jairus to tend to the little girl, a second lens of Scripture picks up her. She's just heard the ask. She's close enough to hear what is happening, and, and she's staying at a distance, and, and we're about to know why. In one sentence, the Bible begs us to go there. She's had a constant flow of blood, hemorrhaging for 12 years. She's spent every penny she's had on doctors, and instead of getting better, she's gotten worse. And at this point, you're thinking to the, yourself, oh, well, well, this isn't something we ought to be talking about in church. Please tell me we're not going there. But Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, go there. She's had continual menstrual bleeding for 12 years. And can you imagine the horror she's, she subjected herself to for, with first century medicine? No wonder she's gotten worse. And Mark assumes when he's writing that we, <clears throat> that we understand culture and context. He assumes that we understand that when Jesus crossed the lake from healing the, the man with the demons, he is now back squarely in Jewish territory. These are Hebrew people in the crowd. This is a Hebrew woman. And they are governed by the laws of the Old Testament, especially the first five books of Moses. And Leviticus 15 has an entire chapter, an entire chapter that deals with issues of blood. What does it mean if you cut yourself, if you're bleeding, if someone else is bleeding, if, if bleeding in any way touches you or, or touches something that you're, that you're sitting on? And there's an entire chapter of the law that says if that happens, that you're deemed unclean. When the bleeding stops, you're still unclean for 24 hours and in some cases longer. Anything you touch is unclean. Anyone who touches anything that you touch, they're unclean. Anyone who touches you, of course, is what? Unclean. You can't go out in public and, and bump into anybody because if anyone comes in close proximity to you, you have to, with your voice, just shout out, unclean, unclean, so people can move and, and part ways for you. At a time of being unclean, you're not allowed into any religious services, any activities, any potlucks, any duties. Your entire celebratory calendar revolves around the religious system, and Mark is begging us to go there. For 12 years, this unclean woman has been untouchable, unhuggable, unlovable, 
uninvited, unaccepted. For 12 years, anything she touches is unclean. For 12 years, if she dare go out in public, she has to yell that word. She has to deal with the stares. Well, she hustles down the alleyway, finding him. She's, she's crossed Fruit Street. Now she's on the corner of Third, and the road's narrowing, and the crowd's getting smaller because of the road narrowing. And she waits until she sees her opportunity. And as Jesus passes by, she reaches out, and in a moment, she touches his cloak. And immediately, immediately she knew in her body that she was free. She turns to go. She's in awe. She's ecstatic. And then her greatest nightmare happens. For Jesus says, who touched me? And as she's trying to slip away, Jesus is relentless. Who touched me? She freezes in her steps, and the disciples uh, say, this is ridiculous, Jesus. There's a crowd around you. Everybody's touching you. And Jesus completely ignores their arguing. He wants to know who touched me. And the crowd realizes that something serious has gone wrong here. For your synagogue ruler to be hurrying in a crowd, he said, she's just 12 years old. We don't have much time. This is a dire situation. We need to go. I need you to come. For Jesus to pull the emergency brake on that parade and turn around and demand with all sets of eyes looking around. And she slowly turns around and he's looking directly at her. The Bible says as she, as she moves, she's overcome with her fear. She can't support her own weight anymore and she falls in the dirt. Verse 33, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In heaving sobs, it all comes out. Can you imagine the gasp by the crowd? Can you imagine the family and the community that are there in the crowd? Well, which way did she come from? Did she touch you? Did she, oh, I've got kids here. Did, did she touch any of my kids? Was she within, within six feet of them? She took what she did not ask for. She grabbed what was not hers. She has stolen from Christ himself, and she braces herself for what is about to come. And he puts the full force of heaven against her. And Jesus said to her, Daughter. Out of all the words that she was expecting to hear in that moment, out of everything that the crowd was calling her, this wasn't one of the words that she expected. But if he could sum up in one word everything that she needed in that moment, he nailed it with the full power of heaven. Not against her, but for her. Do you see what he did? He took the full power of heaven that ceases storms, that casts out demons, that heals leprosy, that heals the lame, that heals the, the, the sick, the blind. And he said, with that title, with, with that power, I call you daughter. This is the only place in the entire Bible that Jesus addresses someone as daughter. And it's reserved for her, 12 years rejected, 12 years unlovable, unhuggable, uninvitable, 
unacceptable. And after hearing the entire truth, he lets the crowd know, this one's mine. If you have a problem with her, then you've got a problem with me. That's also what daughter means. You mess with her, you've messed with me. And she's free. When she touched him, she was freed physically. But emotionally, socially, relationally, spiritually, she's still off limits. Leviticus 15. Those around her know her story. And, and what was she going to tell them that she reached out and she made Jesus unclean? Was she going to tell them that she took what was not hers? Oh, she'll live free physically, but she will live with guilt and shame from this day on, still ostracized, wondering what God's going to do with her when he finally catches up with her. So Jesus calls her out of compassion. It's going to be hard for you, but I want to know your entire truth. I want others, I want these folks to hear the entire truth. And at the end of your entire truth, I want everyone to know that you're mine. You're mine from this moment on. There's no guilt. There's no shame. Oh, daughter, you didn't touch me and make me unclean. You touched me and I made you clean. It's done. And you will never have guilt and shame because it's all known. It's all out in the open. And this is the way that, that Jesus deals with people throughout Scripture. A woman at the well in, in, in Samaria in John chapter 4, he has a conversation with her in John 4, and, and she's, go, she's talking about salvation and, and, and things like that, and, and she says, I want to be saved, and he says, well, let's talk to your husband. She didn't want to go there. Well, um, I'm not married. Well, that's right, you've been married five times, and the man that you're with now, he, he's someone else's husband. Well, you're good. Can't I just come to church and, and call myself a Jesus follower? Can't I just go to church and say I'm saved? He said, no. I don't want you just spiritually okay. I want you emotionally, relationally, physically well. I want all of you. On the night of his betrayal and death, as Jesus was taken by the Roman guards and as they're flaying his back open with whips and they're pulling on his beard and, and shoving a crown of thorns on his head, one of his disciples, Peter, comes back. And he's by the fire outside the trial, close enough to see and know what's going on. And people in the, in the, in the light of the flames recognize him. You're one of his followers, aren't you? You've been with him. No, no, no way, no way. And three times Peter denies that he knows Jesus, cursing on the third time. You're not going to get over that, my friend. Every time you come to church and, and you try to be spiritual, this little voice goes, can I remind you what you did? Can I tell you about that? So the first conversation that Jesus has with Peter by the seaside after he pulls off Easter, he asks Peter, says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I know what you did. I know what you did. I know what you did. I want the whole truth out here. I want, I want you to know that I know, and from this moment on, Know that I love you. Know that you're forgiven. And the name you're going to be known by is son. The father calls you son. It's done. 
Oh, she was healed. She was freed physically, but he wanted all of her in that moment. And so he simply says, daughter, it's your faith that has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It wasn't my cloak. It was your faith. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about the little girl. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Believe and, and faith. It's the same word there in the Greek. It's interchangeable. He's telling the synagogue, well, you just saw this woman's faith. You saw what a woman's faith did. Now I'm asking you, you came to me as a, as a last resort. You came seeking me for help. Now I'm pushing that help to faith. So your daughter is dead. You can go back to your dead daughter. You can go back to that reality because that's the reality of it. Or you can put faith in me. Said verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. In the Mishnah, the, the commentary on, the, on, the, on the, the law, the Torah, in the Mishnah, this book of the Jews that discussed the laws of the Old Testament, how to apply them, it is said that even the poorest families upon death should hire at least two instrumentalists and one mourner. And if you've ever been involved in, in some Middle Eastern cultures, even today a memorial service can be a pretty frenzied activity. It's somewhat actually therapeutic versus our Western culture of, of usually somber quietness. It's not just getting out the angst and the hurt and the pain, though it's uh, the louder that you are and the more chaos there is, it's, it's considered the more you commemorate and, and honor the deceased. Outside the house, that has already begun. And Jesus sets up outside what he's about to do inside. He says, whoa, 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 quiet the racket. She didn't die. She's just sleeping. And they laugh at him. He's being ambiguous here. It's, it's a euphemism. Sleep, rest, death. Uh, almost every culture has used them interchangeably. We say, they're oh, they're in eternal slumber or, or they're in a place of rest right now. Well, Jesus sets it up. He kicks everyone out of the house. He only allows Peter, James, and John to go in with him. And, and they kind of shrink over to the far corners, the shadows. They try to blend in with the rock wall. They're now intruding in a, in a very intimate place and time in a family where they, they have no business. The father walks in the door and the mom for the first time leaves the side of the bed and goes up and buries her head in his chest. And as they embrace, he looks past her and sees his lifeless little girl. 
And it is beside this embrace that Jesus slips and goes up to the little girl and reaches out and touches her hand. Talitha Kumi. Breath. Breath comes back into her lungs and her body and her eyes flutter open. And he helps her up to the side of the bed and then to stand. And mom and dad are filled with, I mean, mom and dad, well, we really don't have an emotion for that, do we? Is it shock? Is it, is it horror? Is it fear? Is it joy? Is it disbelief? And in the silence, he decides to speak. Don't let anyone outside know what just happened here. And fix her some macaroni and cheese to eat. She hasn't eaten in days. Isn't that every 12-year-old's favorite? Don't let anyone outside know? This crowd is mocking you, Jesus, because you claim to be the Son of God. The religious leaders don't know what to do with the crazy man who claims to be God and to forgive sins, and, and yet the miracles are undeniable. You want to prove that you're God, Jesus? You pick that girl up, you put her on your shoulders, and you walk out there and let everybody see what's going on. And this is the big, yeah, mic drop moment that you've been waiting for. You take her on the road with you, and the next time there's a hillside, uh, you, you, you know, you go, hey, ladies and gentlemen, in just a few minutes, we're going to hear from Jesus the Christ. But before then, we're going to have the dead girl come and talk to you and tell you her story. Oh, for that, you're going to have to add extra services. You're going to have to get a bigger tent. But maybe he wants for her the same thing that he wanted for the woman that was healed on the way there. Oh, physically, I've just given you life. But if word gets out, this isn't a life to be lived. In the community of the clean versus unclean, she's going to have to go back to sixth grade. She's missed a lot of work in the last two weeks. Who's going to want to play at recess with the dead girl? Her junior year, she'll make excuses why she doesn't want to go. But the reality is, the zombie will never get invited to the prom. Well, she has life, but she is untouchable. She'll be 58 years old buying groceries in the market, once again, dinner for one, when a young girl inadvertently gets close to her and she looks down and says, well, how are you, sweetie? And the little girl will, will, re, will look up and say, hi just to have a scene repeated that's happened so many times where a mother comes up and pulls her daughter back and says, don't talk to her. She's the dead woman. Never talk to her again. And she will leave her basket and she will walk out of the market so no one will see the tears rolling down her face. And she'll wonder why they didn't just let her stay dead when she was 12. Maybe the Son of God is more worried about her prom night than he is his reputation. He will do well with his reputation. He will sacrifice fame and glory to protect hers. You have shalom emotionally, physically, relationally. Protect her, all of her. This is the Jesus story. This is, this is a God that says, I've come to earth to adopt and to restore, to take guilt and shame. This is a story that sets up his story. Ten chapters later, there's going to be another crowd, and they will laugh at him, and once again, they'll mock him, and once again, he will face death there in Jerusalem, and he will conquer it. 
And 2,000 years later, we'll still be celebrating Easter. In your life notes, we're back there again. You're sitting there thinking, he's never going to finish this. Pick up your life notes. We're going we're to go through the rest of it here. Let's go. Mark is claiming that this man, Jesus, has the power over incurable diseases. Over incurable diseases. And the fourth one I'll quickly say is, Mark claims this man has power over death. In one boat story, from one shore to the next and back, he has the power over epic storms, over legions of demons, over everything natural, everything supernatural. He has powers to, to, to heal what doctors have tried for years to heal, to fix. And now he has conquered death itself. Why? Mark, through these eyewitness accounts, is bringing us to the most pertinent question of all time, the most pertinent question of all life. And he's doing this throughout his gospel. Who is this man? He's saying, what are you going to do with this Jesus? What do you do with this man that, that splits time? He's no mere man. He's not a myth. He's not simply legend or lies. He's got to be Lord. And that decision is the decision that you must come to. But the story is not about a crowd. The story is about those who step out of the crowd. Here are two that are out of the crowd. And this is where our story intersects with their story. Number one, there's a huge difference between reaching out to Jesus and putting our faith in Jesus. There's a huge difference between reaching out to Jesus and putting our faith in Jesus. Who touched me? It's ridiculous. How many people have reached out to you? Everyone's touching you. No, someone just reached out and went beyond my humanity and touched my divinity. Someone came with the faith knowing if I touch you, you can heal me. You see, everyone wanted to see Jesus. Everyone wanted to hang out with Jesus. Everyone wants a miracle worker in their back pocket. But one brought faith to Jesus. And that's where he stops the parade. That's where he stops the show. For it was the grasp of her faith that healed her, not the grasp of his cloak. Oh, daughter, you, you will not have my cloak anymore, but you will have your faith. You see, number two, Jesus will either take our whole truth or none of our truth. He did not die on the cross just to be part of our life. In every one of these stories, you will find a God that refuses to just be part of your life. He goes, I will send my son to sacrifice, to die on the cross, so whatever wrong, whatever guilt, whatever shame that you have can be forgiven. I will pay that price. My son will pay it for you. But if that's what it's going to cost me, I will take all of you or I will take none of you. This is way too big of a God and a sacrifice to be happy with, with part of your life. Physically, you're healed. I'm calling you out. I want the whole truth. I want you to be, be true. I want you to be healed. I want you to have shalom holy. The woman at the well, you want salvation? Let's talk about your sex life. Peter, you want to follow me? Let's talk about the night of your biggest mistake. That's going to be standing in the way. We need to deal with that. I want every part of your life because I'm Lord. That's not a title. You throw out just in, in case of emergency, when you need help. That's a description of someone who has sovereignty over all of your life, every aspect of your life. He owns all. It's surrender. Which brings us to number three. Without surrender, 
there can be no salvation. The crowd shows up in almost every story, but the story is never about the crowd. The story is about those in the crowd who fall down and surrender, those who give up everything, the boats, the nets, the tax office, the, the occupation, the whole truth, and say, you will have all of me, God. You will be my Lord. I don't know why you want all of me, but I give it all to you. That's surrender. I put somewhere in your notes, I put a reference to, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and following. It's under finding our story in their story. And you may want to read that later. Jesus looks at the entire crowd and he says, why do all of you think that you're my followers? Let me tell you a story. There's a wide gate that everyone's on and there's a very narrow road. And if you're going to be committed and be part of the kingdom, there's, there's going to be many people that are going to come at that last stand and say, oh, oh, didn't we call you Lord, Lord? Didn't we come? Weren't we in the crowd? Didn't we pray to you? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Oh, you played church. You were part of the crowd. But I didn't have all of you. And I refuse to have a part of you. He goes, here's the person that's in the kingdom. Those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Those that look at this book and say, I surrender to it. It doesn't make sense, but I trust you, God. You're bigger than I am. So I surrender to it and I surrender to you. You see, every one of us one day will have a divine appointment with Almighty God. And what are you going to tell him? Are you going to say, hey, that's me in the crowd. I was there. I called out to you. I sang the songs. I gave you a nod. The story is about those who can say, remember, I fell at your feet. Remember, I surrendered my life to you. I gave you my whole truth. In return, you called me daughter. You called me son. It's simply by faith and surrender. You see, the question that we have to answer is are we simply part of the crowd or are we one of the committed? Amen. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.